0: Okie dokie, a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel!
1: Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are talking about the Gospels. This is Gospels Part 120. We are in the midst of the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples. Uh, The past couple times we've been trying to settle this discrepancy between the synoptic Gospels versus John and when this is actually taking place within the Jewish calendar and is it on Sabbath, is it on Sabbath Eve, is it on actual Passover, Passover Eve, etc.? Um, And last week, we saw where Jesus was taking the first cup of wine within the Passover Seder and is alluding to his death by saying that he's not going to drink of this cup again. He's not going to partake of this fruit of the vine until kingdom comes in its fullness with him being the conquering king, uh, returning as Messiah after his resurrection. Uh, cool imagery there Uh, we see later that the Satan the enemy had already been in the heart of Judas and Jesus responds I guess you could say by taking the form of a servant again we see this so much within his ministry but taking the form of a slave stripping down to his robes and begins to start washing his disciples feet during this Seder uh, which is just such a lowly and gross, dirty kind of job to do for their rabbi to be doing. This is such a act of humility. Um, and some people aren't okay with it. Peter, especially uh, he, he puts up, up some resistance and Jesus is like, you have no part with me. If you don't partake in this and like, let me serve you. And you know, yeah. Peter, he's we, we love him. He's like, not my uh, feet, my Lord, but my hands and my face too. And
0: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, um,
1: yeah. So we're we're in the we're in the throes of it, Paul.
0: Yeah, and and believe it or not, it actually gets a little bit better as he gets to the. I don't know. I think of it as like the the teaching part of what it is he's actually doing there. So, yeah, let's get on with it because this is. Uh, uh, by the way, I did want to say this. In case any part of you is waiting like you think we're somehow going to magically solve the issues between the Synoptic Gospels and John's whatever, we're not. <laughs> we're going to keep trying to point it out, keep trying to come up with, you know, interesting ideas or whatever, but uh, we won't be solving anything. So anyway, here we go. Uh, where are we at? We're in, oh, we're reading through some of John now. We're in chapter 13. I'm going to read a section, verses 12 through 17. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. Okay. I'm sure you can hear the teaching in there, right? So what do we got? Jesus, he, he washes all of their feet. And I just want to point this out. Including who, Samuel? Judas. Yeah. He washes all their feet, including Judas, with full knowledge of what Judas is going to do. And then he puts on his outer garment, and and I mean, just again, I think we mentioned this before, just to say it, over his now at least potentially wet and dirty undergarment. So, I mean, you've worn wet clothing, have you not, Samuel? I have. It's not That's not. Yeah, it's not the, the most wonderful thing in the world, is it? No. And, but he does it, he puts on his outer garment, he gets back to his place at the table, and then always the teacher, he then asks them if they understand what he has done. And I'm just going to say, fortunately for them, <laughs> he doesn't even wait for the answer. Because what are they going to say? Oh, yes, Lord, right? <laughs> but he explains it anyway. First, he lays out just some actual truth, facts, whatever you want to call it. You call me teacher and Lord, and, and, and you're right to do so. That's exactly who I am to you. That's who Jesus was to them. But then he tells them, look, if your teacher and your Lord wasn't just willing, but actually went ahead and washed your feet, well, get the hint, boys. You should be washing one another's feet. Now, I do want to point this out, because this is actually a really big point of contention among, I don't know, Christians, whatever. First, let's notice that he didn't say, others' feet, but he said, one another's feet. And the reason this is important, it's important for the argument, is some see this as, you know what, we should be willing to do this for our peers, fellow believers, people that you actually have relationship with within the body that kind of stuff and and not just for everybody now you know what I mean we're looking at the text and you got to go well I mean come on that's a real possibility but I'm going to go ahead and say I think that this is an unnecessary limitation and and I know what the text literally says I just said it but the text that follows, I think, brings a little more clarity. It brings a little more to the conversation, and I just think, ultimately, as we've talked about before, Samuel, sometimes do we prefer believers over non-believers in some some certain situations? Definitely. Yeah, and that may be applicable here, sure. But should we just outright go, hey, you're not a believer, I'm not going to wash your feet or any sort of metaphorical uh, equivalence or anything? No, I don't, I don't think that's the right way to look at this. So uh, we'll talk. I mean, you'll just see as we continue on why we might think that, whatever. First, he's, he's actually saying to them, look, I am giving you an example, and I'm telling you that you should imitate me. Now, Samuel, you know I'm looking for a word here when when there's a teacher and he's saying, I'm teaching you, I'm giving you an example, and your job is to imitate me in every way thought, word, deed, etc. What are we talking about here?
1: That is rabbinic discipleship in a nutshell.
0: Yeah. This this is the classic image of discipleship. This is how we are supposed to be toward Christ. And we may have the benefit of another human sort of as the in-between or helper or something of that nature. It's a classic image of discipleship. You become like your master in thought, in word, and in deed. And who is our master? It is Jesus, the Christ. Now, the example in this case was serving those who were... And, and this is important to notice, we're speaking in a cultural sense, first century Israel, first century Judaism. They were in every cultural sense beneath him. He lowered himself to be even as their slave. And probably a better way to look at that is to turn around and say, he elevated them. But you get the idea. Uh, he continues and he uses that phrase we've talked about so many times truly truly for emphasis he continues with a teaching we've heard him use before a servant is not greater than his master and he also includes a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him and this should take us back to there's a couple places uh Matthew chapter 10 verse 25 Luke, Luke chapter 6 verse 40 and and remember in those places he sort of followed it up with, yeah, you're not greater, and then he added, it's enough to be like your master. And so, you know, that's, it, that's left out of this particular text here in John, but I think that that idea is important to include. You're not greater, but you should strive to be like him. That's enough. So anyway, who was... Samuel, it's a question for you. Who was Jesus' master? His father. And for whom was Jesus a messenger?
1: He was a messenger for his father.
0: Yeah, right. So Jesus' master, Jesus' message sender, whatever you want to call it, it's God. And so this should help you, me, us to see that Jesus is only doing what he has seen God do, and I'm going to say by example. Now, it's not quite as literally as these disciples here with Jesus who was there in the flesh, but you've got to see the correlation. It's really good. And so they should imitate Jesus who is imitating God, and in the same way, we should imitate Jesus who is only imitating God. It's it's such a great picture, but it, it's important, first of all, that we see and understand what Jesus is showing them, but even more important how that relates to us, how that defines what our daily walk should even be like. So anyway, there's that. And now that I've said that, I can only imagine maybe some of you, you're listening and you're having thoughts like, well, I can't be like Jesus. Well, then I would like to offer to you the classic parenting comeback. Not with that attitude, you won't, mister. (laughs) <laughs> right? As we have said many times, it isn't only about, it isn't all about your level of success. Are you actually sinless at some point forward? Okay, that would be great, but that isn't the 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 only point. It, it, it's about your sincerity, your faithfulness, your loyalty, etc., You need to hear Jesus' words, though. He didn't say, if you know these things, blessed are you. He said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And it's that phrase we've said, I'm sure, a number of times, Samuel. We learn. Why? So that we may do. Yeah. We learn so that we may do. We need to, uh, I maybe there are occasions when we would need to literally wash one another's feet. I'm not discounting that in any way, but definitely, I mean, in, in in a million different ways, metaphorically, we need to wash one another's feet, and I think we don't even need to limit it to our peers, fellow believers, etc. So, I don't know. Anyway, there's that section. Samuel, got anything there?
1: <clears throat> yeah, I'm... It struck me when you brought up that Jesus included Judas within this ceremony of him washing his students' feet, yeah. and it reminded me of, you're going to think maybe this is a deep cut, but hopefully it connects. I just actually read about it last night, so I don't know if anybody has ever heard of the 13 attributes of God, but it's that's in Exodus when... Moses is on the mountain Mount Sinai for the second time and Moses is like I want to see you like I actually want to know and experience who you truly are and God's like I'm going to pass before you you're only going to get a glance because if you got the full picture you die and but then he <laughs> yeah. God says this statement and within rabbinic thought there are 13 hidden treasures of God's heart, his attributes found within it. So the the reference is Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, and I can just read the very first part of the statement, because that's where I'm uh, focusing on. In verse 6 it says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, etc., etc. I'm focusing on the two repeats the lord the, the the lord so within like mid midrashic thought they were they were asking like why is it that god is saying the name the lord twice well the first the lord is representing god's mercy to people to humanity before sin even enters their life uh the evil inclination etc god's mercy is present even before sin entered the picture and then the second, the Lord, is mercy that God offers humanity knowing that they are going to sin uh, after that they enter the world and life and etc. So it's this full encompassing aspect of God's mercy that even though he knows he's still offering this mercy. And so you can yeah. see that with Judas here. It's like Jesus knows that's the second, the Lord, he knows that Judas is going to betray him, yet he is still showcasing the attributes of God all the way back in Exodus 34. I I just think that's really cool.
0: Yeah, and as imitators, we also should be able to show that mercy in a similar fashion. Yeah, that is, oh, that's a good one, Samuel. Love it. Anything else? That's it. Oh, wow. We're moving on. We might make progress. (laughs) All right, John chapter 13. Let's look at verses 18 through 20. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, Truly I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Okay. Now, this is interesting. Again, we're in John. His writing is simultaneously genius and just difficult. So, he returns to the topic of his betrayal. And I, if, if you can remember back, he had hinted earlier when he had said that not every one of you is clean. And Jesus says that he knows each of his chosen ones. And we've talked about that Hebrew word before, Samuel, that yadah, that mm-hmm. that like intimate knowing, you know, a real closeness. He knows each of the ones he has chosen. and And if we remember back... Jesus spent all night in prayer with God to select the twelve. Uh, just for reference, you can look back at Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Now think about that. Jesus and God putting their heads together, spending all night, picking them out, right? And even at that time, Judas was included. And 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 you, I mean, it's God. Come on. You know the potential outcome, he knows that they are all, you know, mostly faithful and loyal, and yet the Scripture will be fulfilled. The Scripture he's talking about, it's Psalm 41, verse 9. Now, it says this, even my close, I'm sorry, you know what? (laughs) I broke protocol, Samuel. (laughs) Psalm 41. You're stealing my line. That's
1: right. Why don't you read that for us? Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me.
0: Yeah. Now, in the psalm, David was writing about himself, and still, immediately after this verse, I think it's so amazing. The one who is betrayed is restored, uh, we might say resurrected, triumphs over his enemy, and is set in God's presence forever. Now, does anybody have any questions as to why Jesus might have referred back to that verse? (laughs) Right? I mean, that's amazing. It's like reading a script of his immediate future. And I I don't know, I just think that's awesome. So Jesus throws that in there, and after all that we've, you know, studied through together, I mean, we're, we're quite a ways through the Gospels now, It might be difficult for you, me, us, to imagine that there's any part of the 12 that could somehow doubt or isn't understanding the big picture. You know, what is coming? But Jesus takes some time to highlight this moment for them. He says, I'm telling you this now. Why? So you can believe later. Believe that I am he. What is it? I mean, why is that going to be difficult? Why is it difficult to believe He is Messiah? Well, they still needed some help to accept what was coming so that they wouldn't be shaken, so that it wouldn't be thrown off course. And I think it goes back to that same story. We've said it over and over. They still had this image of this king coming and and ruling and wiping out the enemy and, and all of that. They They still felt like, well, come on, that's, I mean, that's still got to be the story somewhere, right? And so this idea of him going to the cross, dying, whatever, it was going to shake them to their core. Jesus knows it, and so he's telling them more things so that they have something to hold on to, something that will get them through that, I mean, just traumatic event. And for whatever it's worth, Jesus finishes up this little section. He finishes up with a simple, I guess, but but vitally important formula, we've talked about it before, you could go back and look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 40, and of course listen to the episodes that have to do with those, whatever. But it's this idea, if one accepts Jesus' apostles or disciples as, you know, either his messenger or one on a mission, whatever, they are accepting Jesus himself, and if anyone receives or accepts Jesus as God's Messiah, they are receiving God himself. little bit of kind of sort of a repeat what we just talked about earlier. Therefore, if you're accepting an apostle or a disciple, you are receiving God. That was true for them, and that should also be true for us today. And even the sound of that, think about that. As you go through your life, you are representing Jesus, you are representing God. If they receive you, they are receiving them. That alone should make you feel the weight of the high calling of what it is to be a Christian. Jesus says it here and I don't know, it depends on how you look at it. It brings with it, it, it may be, maybe uh, warning or maybe encouragement. I don't know how they heard it, how we might imagine they hear it, whatever. They must accept Him. All of Him. And that means the whole story, even when it's going to look very, very bad, very, very soon. And we have talked about it—the idea of the suffering Messiah, the Son of Joseph, instead of the conquering King, or maybe we should just say before the ultimate conquering King, uh, Son of David. So, uh, this is a great, uh, this is great imagery for how we all fit into the story. It's great encouragement for how we all must present God and Jesus to the world through our very lives so that they, too, might receive and accept him. So that's all I got there. Samuel?
1: I just think it's convicting and weighty to think about how you conduct yourself with your own life will either showcase or fail to showcase who God is to those people who are connected to your life. I mean, that's yeah. that's like the whole kicker of being, of humanity being an image of God. We can emulate the divine attributes of God in our own lives to emulate that to other people, and it's, there's a responsibility in that, and it just yeah. it brings everything into perspective that the things that you do on a daily basis matter, and that, you know, life is not meaningless. There is purpose and meaning to it, regardless of whatever season of life or circumstance that you're in. Like, just the gener- generality of imaging God in whatever capacity that you're in now is important.
0: Yeah, and you know what's funny is you'll hear this through the church, like, all the time. We are the body of Christ. But if you think about that, just just try to make an image of that in your head, that means that as the world looks on the body of Christ, what should they see? Jesus? I mean, come on! How much more simple could it be than that? And, you know... So many people they hear us talk this way, and they push back, you know, oh, you're a legalist, you're trying to earn your salvation, you know what? No, we're not. God took care of that. We're just trying to actually be disciples, trying to actually be faithful and loyal to the one who did this thing for us. I don't know anyway, it's good,
1: and what Anything kind of else? parent you I mean just continuing that thought like you think about good parents. Good parents don't just let their children exist idly by forever. Like there, there is a progression of wanting those children to be able to experience and accept responsibility from the parents to be able to grow and mature and yeah. uh, c- carry on. I guess you could say the legacy of the parents in their own lives. So in the same way. Why should you not expect God to want humanity to have responsibility at carrying out things that he wants for the good and the welfare of the world? So true, Samuel. Marriage and parenting
0: will teach you more about God than (laughs) almost anything else. They are truly amazing. But, okay, Scripture is pretty darn good. But you know what I'm saying. Real life stuff. All right, well, let's go on. Let's see. The next part, we're looking at John chapter 13, verses 21 through 30. All right, it's a big section, but it actually does kind of have parallels over here. We'd be looking at Matthew chapter 26, verses 21 through 25, Mark chapter 14, verses 18 to 21, and Luke chapter 22, verses 21 through 23. Wow, it's a lot of numbers. Uh, I'm going to read from John because, again, it's such a a large part of the story, but I'm also going to pull a couple bits from the others only because, uh, again, this is an area where it seems like there's a lot of discrepancy, and so we want to get all of the different ideas out on the table, so as we talk about it, it's uh, fresh. Anyway, here we go, in John. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So, that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So, when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then, after he had taken the morsel... Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So, after Receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Okay, so there's, there's John's telling of the story. Matthew has it slightly different. Uh, I'm going to read verse 25 where he says this. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. So we didn't have that whole little interaction at the table. Judas just asked directly, and Jesus told him. And then in Mark, it's also different. Uh, I'm reading verse 21. It says, For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So, All right, all of this stuff. First of all, notice when we were reading in John, he refers to the disciple whom Jesus loved and that disciple or whatever. And everybody, not everybody, big consensus, everybody, everybody that's a part of that consensus, I don't even know what I'm saying. They think that that's John talking about himself. We've seen this before. He just doesn't, I don't even know why he does it that way, but whatever. So there's that, this idea that the Son of Man, hey, He's only—this is just happening because, you know what, that's the way this is all supposed to go. It's in Scripture, whatever, but it doesn't negate the fact that, yeah, but the one by whom he's betrayed, boy, he's got big trouble. That's such a. Ugh. I mean, could you imagine being Judas and still going ahead with it? That's just crazy. But anyway, let's talk about what we got in here. First of all— m- when I said we were reading from Luke uh, 22, verses 21 to 23, please note that we've taken Luke a little bit out of order here. Uh, in the, the next couple of sections, we're going to back, go back and take a couple verses before that. Just want to point that out. We're not, uh, like, being goofy. We, we did it on purpose. So here we have—remember, Jesus has just finished washing their feet, and he's, he's taught them some important things, and now John tells us that at this moment— jesus becomes troubled in his spirit and we don't have to wonder what he's troubled about he tells them and again it's another one of those truly truly statements you can count on what he's about to say he tells them that one of them will betray him and this bothered them i mean duh duh that makes sense but they began questioning who is it is Right, We didn't read those parts. That's in some of the other guys. So there, everybody's wondering. Now Peter, he motions to John. Hey, lean in and you know ask Jesus who he's talking about. But Samuel, there's something important to notice here. It's not written, but think about this for a second. Peter, and I just want to say he's probably the oldest, Peter isn't sitting next to Jesus, which, culturally, that's what would be expected. John, who is, let's just say, possibly the youngest, he's definitely one of the younger, he was sitting next to Jesus. This is also not expected. Now, we may see in conversations or thoughts or actions or whatever. This may kind of end up being a little bit relevant later, but at the very least, it's an important bit of info for you to have a proper mental image. Some of the cultural rules, you know, and you could think of them as like, I don't know, prestige or hierarchy or whatever it is, some of those cultural rules have been broken. Now, Was this maybe some sort of individual choice? Like, no, Peter purposely took a place away from Jesus, and and that's a good thing. He was actually imitating Christ. He had been listening to things that Jesus had been teaching before. He just didn't get called up to a place of honor, (laughs) right? Or was this something that was—it wasn't individual choice, but it was kind of put on them, you know, it, it was, uh, I don't know, you might feel like it's a slight of some sort or whatever. We don't know. But for your mental image, understand that that the places of honor got a little bit messed up or possibly reversed as a, you know, kingdom things are often reversed,
1: whatever. So anyway, have that image. Do you now, care if I add something in? Oh, really no, quick? please do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, This analogy kind of falls through when we think about the later futures of Peter and John, but in some ways that this image is biblical in that concept of the older shall serve the younger that we see in previous characters in the story of like Jacob and Esau, Cain and Abel, where it's not the cultural, like God isn't concerned with the cultural prestige and hierarchy that people are born into what he's actually concerned about is people's loyalty and faithfulness and allegiance to him and that's yeah. who god chooses yeah good
0: point yeah so yeah so anyway it's good just having that in your head and now like as the story continues john does in fact lean in and ask and at least in john's telling Jesus specifically identifies the betrayer with a morsel of bread. It is Judas. And again, he, he's very clear. It's the son of Simon Iscariot. Now, why is John being so specific? We mentioned about that before, and it, it's, it's a little odd that John keeps doing this. But I think it's probably important because I think there's a question about which Judas this is. We, man, this is a long time ago, it was back in uh, Matthew and Mark, we were talking about who were the twelve apostles that were chosen, and one of them is named Thaddeus. But there's discrepancy across all of the Gospels, and and they, they think that this Thaddeus might actually also be named Judas. You know how we have this little issue of sometimes people have more than one name or they're referred to as more than one name or whatever. He could be Judas, the son of James. So Matthew and Mark call him Thaddeus. Luke calls him Judas, the son of James. And so it could be that it's all very confusing. And so maybe this is why John is trying to be so specific. But anyway, in Matthew, okay, so John, you know, he he points him out specifically with the morsel of bread. But in Matthew, Jesus asks, Uh, Judas asks Jesus directly. Jesus answers him directly. But it seems a little more private, whatever. I don't know. Mark portrays the whole thing as slightly more ambiguous. But we've mentioned before, this is another good point, Samuel, how Luke, when he had talked about it, he said that Satan had entered Judas. And John later comes along and simply says, well, Satan had put the betrayal in his heart. But now, all of a sudden, John is coming around and saying, and at, it's at this point that Satan does indeed enter him. So I thought that was kind of interesting to see, just point out. Again, if you want to go back and talk uh, more about that, is this possession or not, or whatever, we think from, from a first century apostolic perspective, what these guys sitting around the table might be thinking, well, yeah. I mean, I think they were totally open to, yep, demonic possession, whatever. But anyway, John, John's story, maybe it's just me, Samuel, tell me what you think. I think the story gets a little weird because he goes through all that and then all of a sudden it's like the disciples' brains just go numb. I mean, here we are, we're talking about betrayal. Jesus is identifying his betrayer and then Jesus tells Judas, do what you're going to do quickly. Just do it quickly. And after all of this conversation and stuff, nobody has any idea why Jesus says that to him. I mean, they they have, their ideas are things like, well, maybe he wants to buy stuff for the feast, or maybe he wants him to give stuff to the poor. What? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just seems really, really weird to me. But it's there. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I'm not even going to comment because to me it just seems weird. So John adds one final bit. Judas takes that morsel of bread and and then he actually leaves and he says that it is night. Now, we've already talked about we've got this big discrepancy between the synoptic gospels and John's gospel with the dates and the festival days and all that. We're going to ignore the dates and the festival days, because all of the accounts agree on this one point. And now, we, America, we would be thinking of this as Thursday night. In first century Israel, okay, Friday started at sundown. So, what we're talking about here, this is Friday from their perspective. So, it's, it's later, this very same day, that he's going to be crucified. So, anyway, just pointing that out, John... I don't know, he felt like it was important to make mention of it. So there you go. Samuel, got anything?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm like you in that this is a tough section. I, first thing I'm thinking of is the, where is this, Uh, verse 27, whenever it says Satan entered into him, if we're continuing this imagery that we've been wrestling with the past several weeks of How much agency did Judas have? And then we we see there's some kind of guilt and remorse later after all these events take place before Judas takes his own life. And so it's interesting that the statement directly following John saying Satan entered into him, Jesus said to him, like, so there is no specificity in terms of the pronoun like who is Jesus actually speaking to? Is he speaking to Judas or is he speaking to the spiritual enemy himself?
0: Okay, good.
1: Um, I mean, I know that's reading into the text a little bit, but it's just, it's interesting to think about, like, you know, that maybe there's something deeper and more eternal going on in that conversation than just Jesus telling Judas, like, get on with it, brother, like, do what you're gonna do. Like, maybe, you know, Jesus is actually saying, like, you're my enemy and you're trying to, you know, thwart me and you probably think that I'm going to retaliate, um, but you're going to be surprised that I'm going to give my life up for this. So, um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing I'm thinking of is, um, I just don't understand the purpose. I mean, there's no way for us to answer this, but why would Jesus even announce, like, what is his purpose of saying, like, bringing up up to his disciples, like, one of you is going to betray betray me, if at the end of it, it just resulted in more confusion for the the disciples, and they couldn't follow Jesus in the first place. Uh, I just don't, I just don't, and then the, the whole interaction between Simon and John and Jesus, and Jesus, he didn't seem to have any hesitation to kind of showcase who it was going to be and pointing them out. I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm struggling to find the, the why as in terms of what, what is this doing to add to the narrative that we've been walking through uh, for the past few weeks.
0: Yeah. And I don't know if this is the answer, but as you were talking about asking the question, I went back up to verse 19 where Jesus said, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I Mm. am he. Maybe he's just continuing that sort of deal. I I don't know. I don't know. But also, he was troubled. He was troubled. Yeah. And, I mean, is is it impossible to think? It's like, oh, man, I do not like what's happening here. And you know what? I need to talk about it, guys. (laughs) I I don't know. It is. I I think I agree with you. It's not that we can actually answer the question, but I I don't
1: know. Well, my brain just went to right now, like, maybe the reason it's getting pointed out on the betrayal is the fulfillment of prophecy. I don't know whether you've got this in your notes. We've talked about it, maybe previously hinted at it, but probably will more later when the text brings it up in more detail with Judas's betrayal, but there's sp- sp- pretty specific reference in Zechariah. Um, I, I mean, I think it's chapter eleven, verses twelve and thirteen, about betrayal, thirty pieces of silver, and there's connection there with Judas. So maybe there's something behind there with Jesus leaving hints for his disciples to to see that. You know, he's continuing the theme of him being the prophet. Um, yeah.
0: Could very well be. Yeah. I don't know. But it is. It's troubling. And uh, did you ever notice, Samuel, when do we do that the most? When we're reading John. It just <laughs> keeps happening. Yeah. But all right. Anything else before nope. we go on? All right. Let's go ahead and go one more little bit. This is, let's see, Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. Mark, chapter 14, verse 22, and Luke, chapter 22, verse 19. Notice how we've kind of stepped back a little bit in in Luke. And I'm actually going to read from Luke. Uh, It says this, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Okay, now I, yeah, I have this feeling that we're not going to make it through this, you know, sort of like proto-communion moment or whatever you want to call this, <laughs> but but we'll get through the bread part and probably have to come back and do the wine later. But anyway, this, this, is, this is good and interesting stuff. So, uh, uh, let's just say it. Here begins what is commonly related to our modern sacrament of communion and and of course that goes by different names you may heard it you may have heard it called the lord's table or the lord's supper or the breaking of the bread or the eucharist or love feast or i'm sure there are many others you get the idea and i'm just going to use the word communion just because that's kind of the word that i've heard a lot whatever however i'm going to make a sharp distinction between what it is we see here and our modern sacrament. Now, having said that, I'm not speaking against anything like anything to do with the modern sacrament. I'm simply highlighting the specific context that we are seeing here. Now, just to point it out, we're in the Synoptic Gospels. So when we're in the Synoptic Gospels talking about this Last Supper, it's a Passover Seder in their mind, okay? This this meal it's presented as that. Now when Jesus says do this in remembrance of me, he is speaking to Jews in the middle of a Passover Seder. The entire Passover festival, including this meal, it, it was a memorial. They were supposed to remember the redemption and Exodus from Egypt, being brought into God's presence, the Sinai Covenant, all of that. That's what this whole Passover thing was about. Jesus is instructing them that this memorial, the one that they've been celebrating for centuries and centuries and centuries, is now going to change a little bit. It's going to have an addition. It's going to include... What Jesus, well, we could say what Jesus has done, obviously from their perspective, it's what he's about to do, okay, but we, you get the idea. It's going to include this, but it's important, it's not replacing anything. Redemption, uh, like from Jesus' perspective, when you think of this new adem- addition, now we're talking about redemption and exodus from, not Egypt, but from death and corruption, we're being brought into God's presence, but it isn't just, you know, out in the desert or whatever. It's eternally, and it isn't the Sinai Covenant. It's the new covenant that we love to speak of so much. So so the Passover festival is being modified to include this new work that God has done. His faithfulness is 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 being completed in Jesus, okay? So everything that you see here, everything that's going on, this is very, I don't know what the right word is, Jewish festival-y, right? It, it, that's, that's what it should look and feel like to you. So that's important. And now communion, uh, now, okay, if we talk about it in the modern-day context, well, it's it's very similar and very awesome as a memorial. And I mean, you know, everybody practices it different. Some do it every day. Some do it every week. Some do it every month, every quarter, whatever. Okay, I'm not going to like pick one and say this is right and the others are wrong or whatever. It's all great. I mean, you you do you. But this is important that we don't confuse the two. In this text right here what you're reading Jesus isn't establishing the modern-day sacrament of communion. That's just not what's going on here. It's not in view. They, In fact, go back to the first century, when this is all going on, after Jesus is resurrected, they weren't doing communion in churches. That's not what was happening in the immediate decades following Jesus' resurrection. This came into being over time. All I'm saying is, and again, I'm not I'm not trying to tear down anything. I'm just saying, leave room in your brain for two separate but very related things so that your mental image of what's going on here is more accurate. Now, I've got just a little bit more to say, Samuel, but at least up to that, but am I at least being clear?
1: For sure, yeah.
0: Okay, all right. So, one last little bit. Uh, just, I mean, I mean, I would think, if you were anything like me, or just a normal, curious human, whatever, why did he say, this is my body given for you? Like, like, what's going on here? What did he mean? And I'm going to talk more about this later, but I'm going to wait until we get, you know, done with the, the wine part as well. But I'm going to say this much now. This is what, what did he mean? Well, first... Let's let's take note. The bread that he is breaking is matzah. It's that flat, crispy bread, and, and you could say crispy, you could say hard. I don't know, whatever you want. <laughs> but it's unleavened
1: bread. Uh, Samuel, what does unleavened bread represent? Oh, I know that leaven in bread is supposed to represent corruption or sinfulness. Right. And removing it, I guess, is removing corruption or sinfulness. Yeah, yeah. It it, it represents there is
0: no sin. And, and, of course, that represents Messiah. Messiah was sinless, right? So he's breaking unleavened bread. Now, why is it broken? It's broken so that all who are participating in this thing, right, so that all may eat of it. So Messiah is is broken for all now if we if we you actually mentioned it you talked about you know the the leaven representing corruption or whatever so matzah i mean i don't know i've heard it said you could put matzah you know out on your porch and 30 years later it would still be there i don't know whatever it's resistant to corruption now this is very very unlike leavened bread we know that that's going to get moldy very quickly but there is there's a particular part of the meal. This relates to the corruption, and and, and it, there's a piece of matzah that's broken. So one of those pieces is actually placed in a, a linen cloth. It's like wrapped up in a linen cloth and it's hidden away. And I mean, like modern, as far as I understand, the children they get they have to go seek it out. They have to find it later. Now. I'm only bringing that up because think about what happened to Jesus. Messiah was wrapped in linen or wrapped in cloths or whatever. You get the you see the the analogy there. And he also was hidden in the grave. We might even go so far as to say you think about the nation of Israel, things that Paul writes. Messiah is in some way, that partial hardening, he's actually hidden from them in a a similar way. But anyway, the point is, when it is found, it's removed from the linen, and so we can think about Messiah leaving his his, uh, cloths, those burial cloths, behind. And, again, in the ceremony, uh, it's either... Finding it is considered a special prize, or it might actually, uh, because you're the one who found it, you might actually get a special prize, something like that. And, I mean, we could look at it in a similar way, Messiah. And, and in that sense, we would be thinking of actual forgiveness of sins or life, eternal, whatever. That's the special prize that comes along there. So, most importantly, Jesus gave his body to secure a new covenant. And and just to say it a little more uh, specifically, it was given for the Jews. But we understand in the fullness of the story, it was ultimately given for all of mankind. And that comes with a caveat, all of mankind that would, in fact, accept it or receive it. So, I'm betting people have thoughts, questions, whatever, that maybe we'll answer a little bit more when we go on and talk about taking the cup, et cetera. But we're running out of time. We're not going to do that. I I got an idea, Samuel. Why don't we do a cliffhanger? (laughs) We've never done that before. But anyway, at least for as much as we've talked about here, Samuel, thoughts, questions, what do you got?
1: Yeah, since we're on the imagery of... Passover right now with the unleavened bread and Jesus breaking this matzah and showing these parallels. In the previous section, what was the bread that uh Jesus used to identify his betrayer? Like in verse twenty seven of John thirteen, it says uh well no, I guess it's in twenty six two. So, when he had dipped the morsel, so what is that morsel within the Passover Seder? Like, is that something sp- specific, or did he just like find a crumb off of one of the matzah that is used for the ceremony? I know that bread is broken and shared more
0: than one time. Is there additional bread that they like? Is there bread that's set aside for, call it the ceremonial parts of the meal? But there is other. Bread available that people can simply take part of as a part of the meal?
1: Uh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just taking a look real quick at the Greek in the NASB, uh, which is they try to do a one to one literal yeah. translation. I don't see any where it says bread. Uh, what is that verse? Yeah, in the ESV it says it is to uh, t- he who. Whom I will give this morsel of bread, but then in the Greek, it just says morsel. It does not, like bread is inserted within the ESV translation. And that Greek word for morsel is just a a fragment, a bit, crumb, mouthful.
0: Good point. Let's see what we got here. I'm looking in ESV as a comparison. Yeah, you're right. It's I, not, you're right. It's similar here. I'm seeing the same thing is, is what I'm getting at. A portion of food near or equal to a mouthful often used of bread. So I went and talked about it like, oh yeah, it's bread, it's bread, it's bread. <laughs> it may not have been.
1: Yeah. So
0: bad on me for that.
1: Didn't mean to throw a wrench in the fan, but was... No,
0: no, no, no. See, this is so, but this is so good. First of all, I mean, even when you know people like us we're sitting down we're doing preparation we're, we we know people are going to be listening to this the last thing you ever want to do is you know leave something out make a mistake whatever 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 but you do i mean you can't get everything right so when you're studying you're going to go along and you're going to see one thing you're going to see another thing you're going to see a third thing a year later you'll see something different 5 years later you're going to see something more and different this is fantastic because it just shows we need to be more careful with our text. Somewhere in the course of events, they had bread available, and he took it, and that's how this all came down. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we made that better, Samuel.
1: Yeah. Classic Jewish asking a question to get more questions. Right. Yeah. Um, I wish I didn't have more, Paul, but I do. Go. Go. <laughs> um, the... In this last section where Jesus said, um, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me, and you made a statement earlier in the previous section where you said Jesus is instructing them that this memorial will now change to include, uh, like within this Passover Seder, you do the traditional, what has been laid out in Judaism, and then if you're a follower of Yeshua, you're adding this as a memorial too. oftentimes whenever i'm looking at the text i'm trying to think about it within jewish eyes as best as i can as a gentile um and think about what questions i have what things would they struggle with and when you said that my mind i was like wait there's something in the torah that talks about not adding or subtracting from the commandments and I did a right. quick search, and that's Deuteronomy four, chap- chapter four, verse two, where it says, "You shall not add to that which I command you, and you shall not subtract from it to keep the commandments of the Lord your God." And when I first read that, I was like, "Oh shoot, that seems like a problem." But <laughs> this, this this website that um I it, there's it's an article, and maybe I can even copy and paste it in our okie-dokie notes. But um, even within their resources they are saying that there are plenty of times within rabbinic Judaism, you could say like rabbis looking at the text, the Torah trying to figure out what it means and how to apply it, where they have added details for the purpose of helping them to fulfill and obey the commandments. And that is different than what they are saying this verse means. Like if, if god's text says like and this is just completely hypothetical like i'm not saying the bible says this but if if god had a commandment that says like you shall eat four eggs and then you know instead jewish thought and interpretation is like no we should eat three well that's adding to it or subtracting to it or if it's you shall not eat pig or swine and the examples of that's like we sh- we shall not eat pig except for the tail or the feet. Like that's adding or subtracting, but in whatever ways you can build a fence around Torah to help you in your faithfulness in your pursuit of obedience, then that seems to be more okay. So in some ways, is what Jesus is doing here, like adding details to the Passover Seder to help in its richness, in its fullness, in its capabilities to be fulfilled without actually adding or subtracting to it.
0: Yeah, it, he's not changing the actual festival in any way, to whatever degree that they are, you know, following some specific instruction in Torah. Um, he's not changing that in any way. It remains a memorial to Egypt, Exodus, all, it, it is completely the same. The only thing that he's doing is saying, hey, when you do this, when you're doing everything exactly as you've done it before, you know what? You have something else to remember. It's it's not changing the actual command. And in this case, I mean, it's much easier to see how it's actually enriching it and, and helping us to understand more. So, I mean, this is that exact same memorial. It's just your understanding now and memorializing God's completion of it. What you were celebrating for, before was only the, the foreshadow or the pattern or whatever, and now we can actually look to the real thing. And in some sense, it's not even all memorial in the, in the sense of looking back. It also looks forward to what we expect god to finish when when messiah returns second time i don't know i i feel like i haven't answered anything at all i just talked for a few minutes so i don't know where, where are you at with that samuel
1: oh i think you did help and i think if I, maybe i just caused us to go in a circle but later in the section when you showcased all of the details within the matzah in the passover seder and how there are so many parallels to the events that are about to happen with Jesus and his death and resurrection—that's the remembrance. Like, and you—you you brought up a good point. Like, he says, "Do this," so that's do the Passover Seder in remembrance of me. So, what you just said makes total sense in that they're—they're not—they're not removing anything from the Passover Seder, and they're not actually adding anything to the Passover Seder. It's just within their own internal meditations and thinkings and uh, wrestlings with these images that they're continuing to uphold the imagery of redemption from Egypt and then if you're a follower of Messiah Jesus you're also adding the imagery of suffering death and resurrection that is to come so yeah yeah, you totally helped Uh, you helped me hopefully you helped the people who are listening at an hour and 10 minutes.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I feel the same. So, you know, if you're listening and none of this helped you at all, great, you're on my team. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, this is good. I mean, I, I know, because I've listened to a few other podcasts, I know that there got to be some people out there, they've heard everything that just went on between us. There are going to be some who are like, yeah, you know, whatever, get to the end. And there are others who are like, oh, man, I am so glad they talked about that. You know, it, it, they said this, or they said this, or they said this, and it really helped. So, I don't know. I am glad you brought it up and that we talked a bit. It's good. Sweet. All right. Uh, so, anything else, Samuel?
1: No, I think we're good to go. All right. Well, then, let's let's hang that cliff. We are done. Okie dokie. Oh! Thanks for listening to the Okie Dokie Most podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about the podcast at www.okidokimos.com. If you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. Until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.